Welcome to New Covenant Church. You're listening to this week's message with teaching pastor Daryl Feemster. And of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause the captives of the land to return at, at the first, says the Lord. Stand with us and worship him this morning.
walking around these walls. I thought by now they'd fall, but you have never failed me. Waiting for change to come, knowing the battle's won. For you have never failed me yet. Promise.
grace and your power. We're living proof of your love. Today, in the midst of all the chaos and the different things and the fears and the anxieties of men, we thank you that peace comes from you. And we celebrate to you today. We celebrate your love for us. We celebrate your gift to us. And Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your amazing grace and the blood of Jesus. And we give you praise and honor and glory. Great is your name and greatly to be praised. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We are so glad you're with us today and we thank you for joining us and we're excited to have this opportunity that in the midst of this time that we can still worship, praise the Lord together. Last week we started a series called A Red Letter Day. A Red Letter Day is that special day of significance and opportunity. And usually it's marked in red around a a date on your calendar. And all of us have had those red letter days. But there was a red letter day of eternal significance that took place 2,000 years ago. And we still get to live in the life-changing benefit of that day. Our red letter day is that Friday on a hill called Calvary when Jesus died on the cross. Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2, Hebrews chapter 2, and we're going to be looking at verse 14 to begin with. But I want you to understand that more happened on that cross than we ever imagined. In fact, I want to tell you that the cross is the answer for every problem that we are facing today. We realize, we've been taught, that Jesus took our sin there and that the blood of Jesus redeemed, cleansed, and reconciled us to God. And God's own love is displayed at the cross of Jesus. But what often we fail to see is that the cross finally and fully disarmed, defeated, and double-crossed the devil. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14, the writer says, Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, himself, likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. 1 John 3, 8 also says, For this purpose the Son of God was manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that word destroy there means to loose, to break, to liberate, to undo the business, the work, and the deeds of the devil. You mean, I can hear somebody say, you mean you believe in the devil? Absolutely. Why? Because the Bible from Genesis to Revelation speaks of him. But I don't believe what some believe about the devil. He's not a deity. Satan is a creature, a created being, and no match for the Creator. He is powerful, but he's not all-powerful. He is present, but he's not everywhere at the same time. He is shrewd, but not all-wise. And he has a rule, but he's not the sovereign. He's not in hell yet. But he's the God of this age, Scripture says. He's the prince of the power of the air, or the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. The earth is his domain. 
and the sphere of His operation in our age. And not until the end of this age will He finally be bound and cast into hell. But here's the truth I want you to see thanks to the cross. As a believer, the devil has absolutely nothing on me. Are you saying you don't sin? No, not at all. What I am saying is that my sin, all of it, has been covered, cleansed, and I stand justified before God. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the finished work of Jesus Christ on a cross 2,000 years ago. And on the cross, the devil was double-crossed. You see, from the way we look at it, to the outward eye, it seems like the cross was a degrading tragedy. That the Son of God, the miracle worker, the one who made all things, was put on a cross, and men were crying out, crucify Him that had made Him, that He had made. And He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It looked like it was the end, and it was an end, but it was an end that was our beginning. It was an end to the devil. And the thing that looked like a degrading tragedy in reality was a glorious triumph, an overwhelming victory. The devil was double-crossed. For by Jesus' death, he stripped the devil of his power and ripped from his hands the most awful weapon, the strength and the power of death. Hebrews 2.14 says that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. And when we hear the word destroy, we think of annihilate, to demolish, to kill. But that's not the word in Greek that's used here. It's not, it doesn't mean that. The New Testament word destroy is tardageo. It means to make null or to render powerless. The same word is used in other places in the New Testament and it's trans- translated to bring to nothing or to make without effect, to make void. So to destroy means that to strip of his power. Well, what was the devil's power? His power, it says in this scripture, was the power of death. Now that doesn't mean that the devil had absolutely power in physical death. You remember Job in the Old Testament. Satan could do everything he could in touching Job, but he could not take his life. God is the author and the finisher of what we call life. The death that the devil did have power over was the death that was deserved because the wages of sin. The devil is also called the accuser of the brethren. Until Christ's death, the devil had the power of legal accusation before God concerning our sin. He could demand that we deserve death as a just payment for our sin. He had a claim against us. It was a power because it was truth. We deserved death. But when Christ died, when He who knew no sin became sin for us, a curse for us, then all the legal rights of Satan over all that Satan had power over was gone. The penalty due for sin, Jesus paid in full. The law had been vindicated. It had been fulfilled. The price had been paid. Death had been accomplished. 
And what the enemy thought he was doing in defeating Jesus on the cross ended up self-defeating him. He was double-crossed. His power, his authority was made of none effect. Null, void, empty. Romans 8, 33 and 34 in the New Living says this, Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us, and he's still in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Well, how can that be true for us today? Colossians 2 Verse 13 and 14 in the message translation, it says this. When you were stuck in your old sin-dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, the old arrest warrant canceled, and nailed to Christ's cross. Jesus' once-for-all death on the cross in the past has produced a permanent eternal effect specifically regarding the removal of the bondage that was once against us. And people say, well, how can Jesus' death 2,000 years ago cover my sins? You mean you to say that Jesus' death covered all future sins? Well, you do realize that all of your sins were future. So if Jesus died to forgive us, He forgave all all of our sins, past, present, and future. And Colossians says, He's wiped the slate clean. God has not only forgiven my sins, but He's rubbed out, erased, the legal demands, the external code that was against us, contrary to me. The debt of that which I was accused has been rubbed off the ledger. It's been erased. So now, what can the, day, what can the devil say against us? Well, I know that if you're like me, he can say plenty. But who can he say it to? To God? No. He says it to us. But what we don't realize is when he says it to us, it's a lie. Because he was a liar from the beginning. Well, why are so many of us still defeated by fear and anxiety Why have we lost hope? Why do we think that everything's falling to pieces? Because of the devil's deceit. His key weapon against us now is deception and our unbelief. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 3 says this, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, Your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. Paul was saying, I'm afraid that just like in the beginning Satan deceived Eve, he's deceiving us. When we sin, doesn't Satan have the right to accuse us? Logic says yes. But First John 2, 1 and 2 in the New Living says this, My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. 
He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. While Satan stands to accuse us, Christ stands as our advocate, our defense lawyer, as a testimony himself that our sin has been paid for in full. Justice now belongs to Jesus. And Satan's accusations are useless, they're powerless and void before the Father. And if they're void before the Father, why do we hang on to them? Because we believe him. Satan's only hope is to, for us to distrust, for him to delay and discourage and defeat us by deceiving us into believing his lies instead of God's word. You see, the real battle today in 2020 is still the battle for our mind. To get you to think other than what is truth. Satan's only hope is to influence and ultimately control you by getting you to believe him. And he's good at it. The only hope of you having real freedom and liberty, freedom from fear and liberty from the devil is coming to see the finished work of the cross and your living union with Christ. 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 2. I read just a moment ago out of Colossians 2, 13 and 14, but I want you to look at verse 15. In Colossians 2.15, it says this, Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. When Jesus died on the cross, he not only dealt with sin, he also dealt with Satan and all of his forces. We need to hear that today. He disarmed them, the Scripture says. That Greek word there means it's an expression of complete removal. It means to take off, to strip off clothing, to undress or disrobe. In other words, Christ stripped the powers of evil and control over the lives of men. And then it says He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In the Greek... It literally says he made an open spectacle of them, a triumph over them in it. Paul's readers would have understood the language of a triumphant Roman general. You see, Paul's readers were under the Roman Empire. And the Romans had a thing called a triumph. When a Roman general, the highest honor a warrior could get, could ever be paid, was that of a victorious Roman general called a triumph. When the Roman government gave a general a triumph, it was because of a complete victory. And before a Roman general could be granted a triumph, he must have actually been the commander-in-chief on the field of battle. The campaign must have been completely finished. 
the region was conquered completely and had brought peace to the place. And the victorious troops were being brought home. According to Roman history, 5,000 of the enemy, at least, must have fallen in one engagement so that it fell into the category of a slaughter, a triumph. Also, Roman territory must have been gained by the campaign and not merely a disaster averted or an attack repelled. In other words, a triumph was a victory that was over a foreign foe and not in a civil war. Triumphs didn't happen very often, even in the Roman Empire. But Jesus' triumph, if you can see in your mind what the Romans would have seen, what the Colossians would have seen, they saw a general, a commander-in-chief that was on the battlefield, and he had made, he stripped the power of the enemy. He had won an incredible conquering of and regained territory it belongs to jesus now the cross of jesus was the ultimate triumph the enemy has has been disarmed stripped of his power and made a spectacle they have nothing with which to hold us captive anymore now there's no fear there's no bondage there's no threat Jesus Christ is our conquering King. How then should we be alive? How then should we live in these days? Forgiven. Free. Favored. Empowered. Bold. And grateful. Thanks to Jesus, the devil's defeated. Thanks to Jesus, there is no threat that can come to your house that Jesus hadn't conquered on a cross. Believe it. Well, what if it happened? What if something? What if? What if? What if? Let me. Jesus said, My yes is yes, and my no is no. The devil always uses the what if to cause you to call up in anxiety and fear. I want you to understand God's taking away that power. It has no authority. Every what if is going to be answered in the I am. I think I have a word for the church today. I've been praying for you. Romans 16.20 is the verse that he gave me. And here it is. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. So let me just say what I I think God is saying to us right now. That He's the God of peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He's conquered everything that you think is going to conquer you. And He's brought you. He says, my peace I give to you, not like the world's. And then notice this, he will soon crush Satan under your feet. That peace is not only in you, but it is your answer for your turmoil. He'll soon crush Satan under your feet. And then it says this, the grace, the empowering presence of our Lord 
His favor upon us. May it be with you. Dwelling in your house. Conquering your fears. And His grace is sufficient. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we honor you and bless you today. We thank you for the opportunity to literally speak your word into the hearts and lives in every home, in every place. And Father, we're asking that your word would go forth in power and we, we bind every lie of the enemy in our lives right now and we loose grace, we loose peace, we loose your love and joy in our homes. And we invite you, Lord Jesus, fill us again. Come upon us. Show us how to minister your love and life to a world who desperately needs to know your forgiveness and freedom. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for listening to this week's message. 